Dev on the Tyne. Dev on the Tyne. So I think last time when we started this podcast, it wasn't actually called that. But when we recorded the episode, we didn't know we were actually going to call it Dev on the Tyne. So, Jonathan, why is it called Dev on the Tyne? Why did we decide to name it and upload our first episode as Dev on the Tyne? Why did we name the podcast that? What's the story there? There's a few things. Firstly, we couldn't think of an actual name. So we spent we sp- we, sp- we spent about a week trying to think of a name um, before even recording anything. Uh, secondly, we are both from uh, the Newcastle upon Tyne area. We are Geordies, Geordie boys. Um, so the the River Tyne runs through the city of Newcastle into the North Sea. Blah blah. But. More importantly, there is a famous or perhaps infamous song called uh, Fog on the Tyne by a band called Lindisfarne. Perhaps made more famous by the Paul Gascoigne version. Fog on the Tyne is all mine, all mine. Fog on the Tyne is all mine. Come on! Yeah, so that that's the... Yeah, it's Fog on the Tyne, so we just kind of, you know, derived that. Added Dev, a really original. Yeah, it's super original, um, Dev on the Tyne. But it sticks, it works, and I kind of created some artwork for that that took all of two minutes. And there we are. There's a few people asking, you know, where where did the name come from? So now you know. Now our listeners know, all two of you, Jonathan's mum and my mum, that's where the name come from. You could sleep easy tonight, knowing now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, um, let's move on to some even more important um, things and discuss maybe some of the things we've been working on because I think some of the topics are quite interesting and um, we've been working on a project together and we've both kind of been working on different areas of that project and we've we've discovered a few tools and a few tricks and, and what have you. Um, but, you know, what, what, have, what have you been working on or should I say what have we been working on lately? Um, at Graph CMS, and also, what have you have you been doing anything with your your side project? I know that there was uh, competition closing or registration closing. Was is there anything that you've been doing in the dev space on that front? Um, just a kind of a couple of minutes summary would be be nice to hear from from your side, really. So, Graph CMS, we are working together as per on uh, the new GraphCMS.com website. So, more specifically, this week. Uh, I've had the pleasure of building the new pricing page. Uh, yeah, pricing pages are, are, real are fun, really fun. Real, real fun. Um, shout out to Ronak, if he's listening, for letting me work on that. Appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so pricing page. So, um, yeah, been been working on that. Uh, kind of chucking through all kinds of pages for the new graph CMS side. Um in regards to other projects, I haven't actually spent any meaningful time on any development work on any side gigs. Uh, but as you said, we've just closed the registration for an upcoming competition. And it was our biggest competition yet, so that's good news. So, yeah, lots going on. Yeah, so obviously I've been working on that same project and... Uh it's it's actually been an interesting use of Gatsby, and I think I've I've used Gatsby more on this project than I have 
at all, ever, I think, with all the projects I've worked on kind of summed up. We've done so much with automatically creating pages and including, uh, you know, all sorts of different tools, which is really fun. Um, but, like, one of the things, you know, one of the areas which I started working on on the new website was really um, programmatically creating all these pages and, and building these pages with various templates. And very early on, we kind of baked in that functionality. And I think now we're kind of seeing some of the benefits of spending a little bit of time at the beginning to lay the foundations for programmatically creating pages based on various templates. Um, and then today, you know, anybody on the marketing team at GraphCMS can come along and inside of the, the CMS, they can create a new page and depending on the, the type of content it is, kind of derives the template it should use. And because we're using kind of standard term and throughout and the queries are, are all related and what have you, uh, those pages are just automatically generated and use the applicable components when necessary, um, which really shows the power of kind of the way we've moved on and uh, with CMSs and uh, front-end uh, tool tooling today. Um, so yeah, it, it's been a fascinating ride so far on the website and certainly uh, picked, learned a lot of things uh, with, with Gatsby. And I think you tweeted out a tip with that layout thing that I didn't really know at the beginning um, with Gatsby's uh, wrap root element if you can, the wrap root element gets the context already. So instead of kind of mounting an SEO component, for example, in your pages, you can just let the layout control that behavior, which is uh, far more natural and, you know, less cumbersome to kind of repeat yourself. So, you know, I'm sure there's things that you've learned from me. And that's one thing I learned from this project from you, which I didn't know before. So it's been a kind of a good personal experience as well, because I've now implemented that same thing on on other projects so yeah um it's been a fun project um it's still ongoing but yeah uh we we actually the whole project uses tailwind which is another interesting topic alone tailwind has been getting a huge amount of popularity over the past few months um you know it was really popular last year and then now with the, the recent official launch i think begin and end of last year now we just had 1.2. There's kind of a whole host of uh, benefits of using it today. Yeah, we, um, you know, we've been big advocates for Tailwind for some time now. The, um, and I think really, what I personally enjoy about using Tailwind is, um, well, the utility approach, the utility class approach of everything. Um, so rather than having a kind of predefined classes um, that are very opinionated you essentially have um, very uh, single function utility classes which provide a single uh, css rule so for example you would have um, a range of classes to apply padding to various um to, to the x-axis or the y-axis or the top or the bottom um, and those units can be defined uh, they are they have default values those units but you can also configure those units uh, as you wish so it allows you to compose these smaller kind of atomic utility classes into a larger uh, a larger component approach say if you were building a button you would need to add a background, a background class, a pattern class, text size, text color, so on, so on. So it gives you that that kind of fine grained control to compose your components as you need, um, with without um, without perhaps 
over-engineered it um, with some of the other CSS um, job in, in JS libraries that are out there. Yeah, what's really fascinating is I think when we very first met, um, you were working on a dashboard and that used Bass CSS, which is kind of an atomic CSS library itself, and it's not. Uh, it wasn't. It's no. It's not as advanced as uh, Tailwind is. But it was, it's interesting because when when we very first met, you were using that on uh, creating a dashboard, and there was maybe some kind of steering towards using a component, like a not style components, but using a, whatever Ember's equivalent was at the time. Um, there was kind of a maybe it was a shift to to that paradigm, and then now, um, you know, kind of as that project progressed and Tailwind got more popular, it just became more it just kind of made more sense to use something like Tailwind because it does make it extremely um, quick to just build out pages and components and whatever because of just, I, I just find it mentally uh, a lot easier to, to consume and create components um, than kind of having to create this component that, you know, does a lot of boilerplate to just kind of throw in some CSS and I still then have to worry about auto prefixing and, and things like that and, and setting all that up, whereas Tailwind just kind of takes care of that with post CSS and purge CSS and things. So yeah, um, it's kind of gone full circle um, and it's kind of, it's a nice memory actually to when we very first met and you were doing, using that and I was kind of, I hadn't used that. I was kind of all on the, the, the style components and uh, emotion kind of bandwagon and I was enjoying using those but now I would default to using Tailwind because it just makes it incredibly easy. And I think uh, Stephen, um, uh, Stephen, uh, who, who was the who was the creator? Adam, is it Adam? Adam Wathen? Adam Wathen. Yeah, yeah. Wathen, Wathen, Wathen. Yeah. So he he's a obviously smart guy that's working on that. And uh, I think when you kind of look at the stuff that they've built and kind of the, where they've taken it, they're now working on the tailwind ui pack which is obviously going to be their sellable product sort of uh, sort of thing that you can kind of buy these pre-built templates and and what have you in the same way as bootstrap allowed you to do it but bootstrap was very specific on these are the components you must use and kind of style them was a bit of a pain in the ass but um it's interesting to kind of see that they're going to now have this library of ui elements that you can pay for and um i think over the next few months as that gets launched we're going to see a lot of websites maybe looking all the same looking tailwind driven um until people kind of figure out okay i can kind of pull some levers a little bit to personalize it um but i just find it fascinating like we've kind of gone full circle and here we are today tailwind's kind of it's kicking ass really um with with the, the other implementations of css and js and what have you yeah just like maybe eight to ten years ago Every kind of web 2.0 application was very bootstrap driven. Everything looked like bootstrap. Uh, now, yeah, that might, I mean, I don't think uh, everything will look like it's been built with Tailwind UI. Um, there was an interesting, Adam was actually on the Art of Product podcast uh, this past week talking about this and the kind of their, their I suppose their kind of, idea behind Tailwind UI and how they envision it being uh, kind of used and they want people to understand that you can kind of cherry pick these components and not have to use the entire um, the entire library to build your marketing site. You can cherry pick a, uh, you know, a header hero 
component and customize it as you need. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. Um, you know, I think even today we see Bootstrap. We still see Bootstrap kicking around on websites, isn't it? And I kind of find it more these days in like the 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 UI, the admin, the app interfaces more than I do websites. But there still are websites that have obviously used Bootstrap because I often see it in places where people kind of forget to style, and I'm guilty of this. But like drop downs, you immediately know when a drop down is Bootstrap or not because that you just follow a specific style. Um, but it's interesting because they do stand the test of time. These things do um, they do work. They're battle-tested. Um, so, yeah, I think the same is obviously going to apply with Tailwind, but Tailwind I just find a lot easier to just kind of get up and going with and, and, and building things. The, the output and what you create is far faster to achieve than uh, using these kind of uh, things that require you to build a bunch of JavaScript, you know, template, literal, objects and whatever um it just seems to be uh seems to be a nicer approach with tailwind i'm I'm fully behind it and fully support it so it's interesting it's nice um it's nice to use so i think that's kind of uh kind of sums up why we use and how we use tailwind um i i'm i most use it with react um and it's also nice to kind of just to drop that cdn link in now and again if you kind of creating a, an example on CodePen, uh, Code Sandbox or CodePen or JS Fiddle or whatever you use, it's you can just drop in this and use it right away. There's no configuration as opposed to things like Theme UI and Bootstrap and whatever. Um, have you actually used Theme UI or looked at Theme UI? Because that's another one which, from a Gatsby point of view, it's something you can kind of just inject and then using Gatsby's component shadowing, you can kind of just override the styles and then you can allow themes to kind of define their own layouts and what have you, what have you using theme UI. Is it something that you've used? Because I've looked at it, wanted to use it. I've spoke, spoken to Brent Jackson at GraphQL Days last year and I was kind of, uh, I was really in on giving it a try, but I've just not had the time. I was interested to know if you if you had or not. I have not. Not outside of reading the documentation and uh, some other resources. I've not actually used it firsthand, but... I understand that that's at the core of the whole Gatsby theme uh, approach. There's been a new release as well to Theme UI recently, I think, which kind of removed or abstracted a lot of the, the setup. So I think now it's just maybe it's a little bit simpler to configure and get going with. I don't know. Maybe it's something we can try out and report back on later on. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, we all have... Uh, we actually have some themes. I have a theme that I'd like to build out, so uh, it's definitely probably the right approach to take in terms of offering that level of customization to the end user. That's good. It's a good discussion. Um, huge advocates of Tailwind we are, I think. Um, it's clear. I just uh, They just released, as you said before, they released um, Tailwind 1.2, uh, I believe just last week. Pretty big release, so I've I've installed it on. I well, I installed the Canary on the GraphCMS project we're working Ooh, on. Oh, living on the edge. Yeah, well, I installed the Canary, and then the next day it went stable. So how about that? Um, but that what what they added was a pretty big release. They added uh, CSS transform, CSS transition, uh, and also CSS grid. Ooh, um, fancy. So three pretty big. Um, kind of 
family of, of, of CSS classes to, to play around with in there. So that kind of, I basically I wanted to use uh, Translate in this project, but I didn't want to have to write any CSS. So I just wanted Tailwind to do it for me. So yeah, yeah that's why I, I was a bit lazy, but that's the beauty of it, I guess. Well, it's funny because actually earlier on in that project, I did find, um, I think I looked in maybe it's one of the PRs Adam had created on Tailwind and kind of copied out the output in one of these tests and just dumped it in our kind of uh, escape or main.css file. And I was going to commit it, but then I kind of got scared and thought, maybe we're going to forget about this and rely on it. Let's just maybe wait till uh, 1.2 lands and uh, we kind of don't go down a path of maintaining this silly uh, thing that we forget to remove or refactor. So... But yeah, it's quite a big release, quite exciting. Now we can finally have uh, text that animates or transitions colors when we hover them um, and scale things bigger when we hover buttons um, and all of the other endless possibilities. Um, it's nice to just have that baked in now. So we've discussed kind of what we've been working on, why we use Tailwind, how we use Tailwind. Um, it, you know, and we've also discussed where the podcast name come, come from. So like... Is there anything that you've been using or used uh, with the kind of the projects you've been working on? Is there anything you've discovered when doing all of that that kind of just stood out? Um, is there any kind of libraries you've seen or websites you've used or um, even just icon packs, whatever it be? Is there anything that you've kind of discovered that is um, uh, could be interesting to share? I know, um, I know for me, I have one, but is there any for you? So I use a, I often share or record my screen and share my screen if I'm trying to highlight some functionality I'm working on or something along those lines. And the tool I use for that is called Cap. Uh, put the link in the show notes. Oh um, yeah, that's nice. And, and more often than not, we kind of want to overlay some audio on that, some voice. So perhaps guide somebody through a piece of functionality, so on and so on. I did not realize that Cap actually offered audio recording. So previously, I'd used QuickTime, but QuickTime exports. Oh yeah, Quick, I didn't know QuickTime like that. exports dot uh, uh, mov, which is not very web friendly. So you'd have to kind of use FFmpeg, transcode that to MP4. Blah blah blah. Turns out Cap actually offers audio input recording, so you can uh, do a screencast from cap directly without any other software so that was a nice discovery um shout out to james for pointing that out yeah james, james always. always yeah yeah well we'll we'll link to him in the show notes to get his followers up um i think your mum and my mum will follow him um but yeah i don't know i don't know how you feel about that by the way but that's that, that's the listeners he's uh we're reaching out to here so yeah, it's an inter- it's an interesting one, and actually, I see when you tweeted this and uh, sarcastically replied with an audio recording of a cap screenshot of your tweet, um, which you obviously enjoyed. Um, so I think yeah, that's that's quite nice when you're kind of sharing things, and especially on social media, it's a good platform for kind of showcasing those, uh, which is you know which is really nice. And thanks for sharing that because I would continue to do exactly what you were doing, recording it in cap, and then putting some audio from QuickTime on top. So this is just far easier to do now. Um, so for me, one of the things I actually found was called uh, GraphQL Spark. 
Um, it's created by Nick Graf, um, and what it allows you to do is use graphical or mount graphical on a on a on a web page. And in my case, I wanted to kind of mount this inside of a blog post or, or some documentation and feed it kind of uh, some GraphQL type definitions and fake resolvers using fake using a faker, and it would just run this. I didn't want to kind of say you have to use this endpoint and then go create a bunch of endpoints, um, example projects with specific schemas. I can just kind of give it a schema definition and give it some resolvers and it will go ahead and just output this. And it actually works in MDX and various other formats. It's just a React component that mounts, but it uses your custom uh, you know, type definitions and resolvers, which I found really fascinating. Um, so I'll link to the show notes and that. Um, I think that's... Uh, it's all open source, so you can see obviously all the, the code that makes it work. It just uses graphical under the hood um, and then does some fancy things um, such as running your, running your query on first mount, um, then having to kind of press that play button. I think Nick recorded a video on Egghead as well, kind of discussing how you can kind of use this. So um, I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. But uh, yeah, um, pretty interesting find. Um, certainly going to be using that or giving that a bit of a uh, taking that for a spin um in the uh in the upcoming um work that i'll be doing on on documentation so um yeah it, it, hopefully that sparks an interest um for anyone listening that is graphical spark um if you didn't get the pun there um but yeah that's it from my side like things i've found that that that's useful um especially if you're in graphql graphql that is that, that may be helpful if you're someone like us who writes documentation, creates examples that could be interesting. How are you getting on with uh, your YouTube content? YouTube content, well, why did you have to bring this up? Because my YouTube content has pretty much uh, non-ex- been non-existent for the last year, or I would say two years now. Um, so a few years ago, I kind of set about creating some videos on various frameworks, um, reviewing some frameworks and re- reviewing some tools, and then kind of recorded some stuff on GraphQL in the very early days. Um, and then I kind of obviously um, started to create some content that was kind of behind some paywalls um, when, you know, various companies I've worked for. So kind of lost that, lost the time really to kind of create these public videos, but it's something I want to try and get back into. And one of the first things I want to do, um, you know, early this year is work on so just some get some content back going on youtube by creating some free courses around building stuff so obviously from maybe it's from an e-commerce angle with cart ql or with other um apis and, and sdks use and implement kind of uh you know different jamstack stuff with with commerce and really get the ball moving on creating some content that's certainly on the on my to-do list um, and then maybe, you know, if things go well um, and I get into a regular routine of releasing that those videos, then maybe just look to kind of create some content that I can kind of host on my own site or, um, you know, make it paid for even, um, try and help pay the bills. Um, but yeah, um, have you, you know, it's kind of a, it's not related to YouTube in any way, but I suppose it could be. But have you looked at Yarn 2? Um, I've I've just seen this flash up again, so it's kind of interesting. I kind of asked if you if you'd seen it. It's not something I've looked at, but I noticed a few weeks ago there was a lot of a uh, lot of c- kind of commotion going on in Twitter. People were kind of making jokes and what have you. Um, and I, I didn't really keep up to date with it, and I haven't really looked at it to kind of pass an opinion. But I just wanted to know whether you had or not. 
I have not. I also saw the controversy, as if you can have a controversy about a uh, JavaScript package manager. But um, yeah, there was some controversy on on Twitter uh, about. So I think ultimately we just all need to move back to npm. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so now, now, they, now they kind of uh, sorted that stuff out, and uh, yeah, we continue to use Yarn like on on everything we do together. But I don't actually know why. Like for me, for me, it's silly. But the reason I use Yarn, and you know, somebody may correct me if I'm wrong, but I I just be able to I just enjoy being able to type yarn dev instead of npm run dev. I'm so lazy, four extra characters, um, including the space, but that's the only reason I use yarn too. I do find it a little bit faster, um, and I have no proof to back this up, but I just find yarn install and yard adding dependencies is obviously far faster than npm, even with npm's latest updates and, and whatever. And I know there's other things with, uh, uh, you know, alternates to npm to, to help with that, but... Yeah, I just find Yon faster. Um, so it's the only reason I continue to use it. But, meh, I don't know whether I should or even need to. There'll probably be something else right around the corner. Probably. Probably. So let's log at Yon too when that drops and compare those. But yeah, um, well, I think that's pretty much it for this week. Um, I've been Jamie. Um, you find me on Twitter. I'm at NoTrab. Uh, that's Barton Backwards. I keep having to tell people that. Um, because like not trab, no trab. It's so weird. You're the same. Um, how can people find you, Johnny? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, GitHub, etc. At Yonodge. It's Y double N O J. Drop those in the show notes. Um, yeah, hook me up if you want to talk. Whatever. Cool. Well, until next time. Bye. See you, man. <laughs>